listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Tonight, we're we're in part three. We've been dealing with this series on uh, exposing the devil's uh, playbook for 2023. Luanda's laughing in the comments. Uh, Exposing the devil's playbook for 2023. See, what, what are you talking about? There is a, as you know, an antichrist globalist agenda that's been at work in the earth for thousands of years. And before that, before Christ was uh, came in the flesh, it was an anti-God agenda. It, it, it's now what the Bible calls an anti-Christ agenda. And it's been at work in the earth for thousands of years. Uh, the New Testament speaks about it. First John, other places, the spirit of anti-Christ. Well, as I taught, That is a manipulative, controlling spirit. It's a manipulative, controlling spirit. And it has a plan. If you go out through Bible prophecy and read the book of Revelation, you'll know that when the actual Antichrist is revealed, then that manipulation and control will take full force uh, on the earth in those final moments of time. Uh, One world government, one world economy, one world religion, total control, total manipulation. And so we know that that's what the Antichrist spirit does. But these, this week, as we're dealing with this series, I'm dealing with three things that the enemy tries to use uh, right now to manipulate and control. The first one we dealt with on Tuesday night was the deception to try to create an anti-supernatural Christianity. That was number one, an anti-supernatural Christianity. Does not want churches to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Doesn't want churches to uh, allow God to move the way that the early church saw him move. The book of Acts, uh, the way that Jesus operated in his ministry. Miracles, signs, wonders. The devil doesn't want that. The devil does not want to see those things take place. So what does he do? Tries to deceive, tries to get people to back away from the move of the Holy Ghost. And that's what we're seeing all through, not only our nation, European nations, other countries, we're seeing this push to try to step back from the move of the Holy Ghost. People think it's too weird for visitors. They think what makes people uncomfortable or whatever they think, but it's not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is supernatural Christianity. And um, I dealt with that on the first night. And the second night, last night, we dealt with how the devil wants to keep people from divine healing. It's another area where the devil wants to manipulate and control people through uh, physical issues, sickness, disease, medication, prescriptions, uh, to keep their bodies locked down in that place where the devil can manipulate and control them. One of the things I pointed out last night was I said, you know, imagine how quickly people would run to take the mark of the beast if the Antichrist system said, no more buying and selling, no more prescriptions for you, no more medication for you, no more medical care for you, unless you get the mark of the beast. And I'm sure that that's something that will take place at that time. We know that you won't be able to buy or sell. Bible says that. But it stands to reason that if you couldn't buy or sell, They're not going to let you freely have medical care. They're not going to freely let you just do whatever you want if you don't fall in line with the system. And so there is this globalist antichrist agenda that's at work that brings control and manipulation. It's no surprise to me that those that have a a globalist mindset are doing everything they can to try to uh, manipulate what's already available. You start to have to ask yourself, why is it? that so many people that have that kind of a a globalist agenda, like Bill Gates, why is he buying up all the farmland that he can get and trying to buy up all the cattle farms and everything that they can get and then try to tell us that by the agenda 2030, we won't be, you know, eating beef 
much at all. It'll be a once in a while treat. We want, all these little things, you start to wonder, what's the story behind this? Why is, everybody, why is there such a push? You know, you look at what happened medically over the last two years. Um, <clears throat> here's something that should turn your, this should turn your eyes uh, onto the, the real issue. Things you could be banned for saying on social media two years ago and even a year ago, the actual CDC is now saying publicly and other government agencies saying publicly. Things you could have been banned for saying. Things you could have been taken off and others were taken off social media for saying. Now they've completely changed their narrative. Completely changed their narrative. They told us things that were lies. Absolute lies. I was watching it the other night. A compilation of all these people telling you on television, news reports, press releases. You know, if, if you just get the jab, you know, the virus stops with you. You can't spread it to anyone. You can't get it. It's, you, you know, you, you're not going to let it use you to be a host to bring it to other people. Then they flipped around. All those same people that were saying those things, all were getting it and all were spreading it. And all, the whole narrative they tried to get us to believe that if we would just do what they wanted us to do, then everything would be okay. Turns out later, none of it's true. And the stuff that you could have been banned for saying publicly back then, they're saying publicly now. It's a total turnaround, complete turnaround. And so you start to realize something else is going on. There's an, an, another agenda at work. And um, you, you realize that there is a group of people that have a globalist mindset, an antichrist agenda, that want to control and manipulate. And it's, that's how the devil operates. Christ sets you free, but the devil tries to enslave you. The devil tries to control you. The devil tries to manipulate you. And so we don't receive that. Number one, we don't receive anti-supernatural Christianity. That's number one. I don't receive that. Number two, we don't receive the anti-divine healing message. There's even Christians now that'll teach and preach, and it's been this way for years, that healing is not for today. Divine healing's not for today. That Jesus doesn't do those things anymore. That that stopped when the last apostle died and when the canon was formed and when the church was established. And now that has all ceased. They'll teach you that. That divine healing's not for you. And they'll go even further as to say that if you see those things supposedly happening and taking place, it's because uh, there's a deception going on. That that's a, a demonic work to deceive people because God's not doing that anymore. What a blasphemous thing to say. What a blasphemous thing to say. And that's what they're teaching and preaching from their pulpits. And if you were with me last night and the night before, and you'll remember that I covered even one of the leading uh, Southern Baptist figures, uh, Richard Land, that was in charge of the ERLC, uh, caught on picture with a World Economic Forum backpack toting it around, or a briefcase, I should say. It's like, what are you doing carrying around a, a briefcase with that globalist logo on it, that demonic, uh, you know, Klaus Schwab and the goons from Davos, Switzerland? What, what in the world are you doing? You know, what are you doing? And so we can see clearly there are people who have an antichrist agenda. The question is, what are they trying to manipulate? What are they trying to control? Well, if you uh, subscribe to anti-supernatural Christianity, then uh, that's the power of God at work in the church. So what is the devil doing? Trying to strip the power of God out of the church. Trying to strip the power of God. The thing that caused Christianity to blow up around the world. The devil wants to strip it from the church through deception. Through deception. Through deceptive teaching and false teachers to try to tell you that God doesn't do those things anymore. The apostolic gifts have ceased to absolute foolishness. Nowhere in the New Testament does the Bible teach those things. To use 1 Corinthians 13 as a proof text shows that you don't even know how to properly interpret Scripture. When it's clearly speaking about heaven, knowledge will cease. Yes, in heaven. Yes, tongues will cease. In heaven, won't need them anymore, but not now. And so understand that there are people that are doing 
um, theological gymnastics to make their point and try to strip the church of its supernatural power. And so what about healing? The devil wants to use the attack against healing and the message of healing to keep the church sick, to keep the church bound up so that we can't do fully what we've been called to do. And again, that's part of the supernatural aspect of Christianity, but get it in your spirit that healing is for you. I had you declare this last night if you were watching. Healing, he's not, my God is not just a healer, he's my healer, right? He's not just a healer, he's my healer. And I, I talked to you about how that's something the devil will use to try to keep people from uh, receiving their healing. Say, so, well, I know God can heal, but I just don't know if in my case, he always tries to uh, say, well, yeah, God can do it, but for me, no, no, he's not just a healer, he's your healer in Jesus' name. And AJ said, is quoting the scripture from 2 Timothy 3 that we used. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. Turn away from such people. Turn away from such people. So I don't have a form of godliness that denies the power. I have a godliness and a Christianity that embraces and seeks after, yields to the power of God. Amen. And so he's not just a healer, Jesus. He is my healer. You have to make it personal because the devil will try to trick you out of believing that healing's for you. He'll use something in your past. He'll use, you know, he'll try to accuse you of things. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. Try to accuse you, try to make you feel guilt and shame so that you can't receive your healing or even deceive you and try to say, well, it's not for you. He, you know, it might be for others, but it's not for you. God's, you know, sovereignly chooses and picks who he'll heal and who he won't. It's not for you. It's for you. He's your healer. And tonight I want to deal with something that's the third area that I believe that the enemy wants to manipulate and try to get the people of God to not embrace and believe that puts us in a place of manipulation and control. And that is the message of abundance and prosperity. The message of abundance and prosperity. That without question, God has a desire to bless his children. There's no question about that. There's, you can't read the Bible and have a way to believe that God doesn't want to financially bless his children. And I'll tell you something that blew me away. I have a book. I bought a book. I was at a youth camp that was run by a Baptist organization. And I saw they had a bookstore. And there was a reformed uh, preacher that's gone on to heaven. His name is, uh, if he was one of the elect, and uh, his name was R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul would have been vehemently against, and was, the prosperity message. Vehemently against. Would not have embraced it one bit. So he had a book called, that. Now That's a Good Question. And it was a question and answer book that he released. And it was uh, separated by subject. And he had a subject in there section about finances and, uh, you know, financial well-being. And I thought, oh man, he's going to take the time and use this to really slam prosperity and preach the poverty message to God's people and all that. And when I turned to it, I was blown away to find out that someone asked the question, uh, is God interested in the financial well-being of his children? And his answer surprised me. Absolutely. God is interested in the financial well-being of his children. I was expecting him to say, well, no, you know, God does, you know, there's some people, you might be struggling, you might be suffering, that's God's will. No, he said God is absolutely interested in the financial well-being of his children. And of course, you can't read through the Bible and not understand that. That if anybody would obey the voice of the Lord, that was Old Testament, even with the nation of Israel, if you'll hearken diligently to obey all that I command you this day, I will set you on high above all the nations of the earth. See, that's what God told them in Deuteronomy 28. You'll lend to many nations. You will not borrow. You'll be the head, not the tail. You'll be above and not beneath. Blessed when you come in. Blessed when you go out. Blessed in the city. Blessed in the field, right? Your basket will be blessed. Your storehouse will be blessed. In fact, if you read through the curses of the law in Deuteronomy 28, go, go through them for yourself. You know what you'll find? 
you'll find out that 63% of the curses deal with Israel's financial well-being. Cursed in the city, cursed in the field, cursed in your basket, cursed in your storehouse, your livestock will be cursed. 63% of the things mentioned in the curses have to do with financial well-being, their economic status. God is absolutely interested. You know, you go read through the men of God that served him in the Old Testament. Adam, did you realize that God wouldn't even create? Now, this is something that'll shake you up. Get this in your spirit. God didn't create Adam first and then try to find a place to put him. God said, I'm not even going to create a man until I have first created a place to put him. And the Bible doesn't just say that he created the earth and all that was in it. He created a garden in Eden and it was plush. It was fully stocked with everything he needed. And it wasn't until everything, all the resources were created that God then created Adam and then Eve from Adam. So notice that he created the place of blessing first and all the things that were in it. And then he created Adam. He said, I refuse to put a man on the earth that does not have a place of overflow and abundance to live. That was God's original intention. That's the creator's original intention. Study it for yourself. And so you realize that it was through sin that those things were lost. But look at those that served God and obeyed him. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You keep going through Solomon, David. You go, you go through the, the Bible. I mean, it's like the Bible says that uh, Job, Abraham so pleased God and obeyed him and followed his voice and leading. The Bible says, and the man Abraham became very rich in gold, silver, and livestock. Very rich. Well, who did that? The devil? No, God did it. God did it. What about Isaac? So wealthy he became, even in the time of famine, so wealthy that the king came to him and asked him to move away. <laughs> Please move away. You're too mighty for us. Jacob, they tried to curse Jacob and could not curse him. His uncle tried to cheat him over and over, tried to steal what was rightfully his over and over, and he couldn't be cursed. He just kept on increasing, kept on abounding. Why? Had a covenant with God. Had a covenant with about David. Look at King David. Blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. Solomon, so blessed that the queen of Sheba thought she was going to impress him with her riches, came in her caravan with all her stuff. And when she saw his outer courts and the way that his uh, servants were blessed, she fell out, the Bible says. Fell out. Go into the New Testament. Go into the New Testament. The Bible says, after Jesus, you go to the early church, book of Acts, you know what the Bible says? There were no needs among them. And if one arose, they would sell properties and lands and possessions and supply all the needs with more than enough left over. Well, let me tell you something. In order to be able to do that, you have to have properties, lands, and possessions. You can't sell properties, lands, and possessions you don't have. So there was more than enough available in the early church. Look at Jesus' ministry. When did Jesus ever struggle financially? When? When? He never struggled financially. In fact, Luke chapter 8, this will be, be maybe a new one for you, but Luke chapter 8 might be a, an eye-opener, but it tells us how he functioned. Let me read Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. The Bible says, again, Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Soon afterward... Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, whom, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Who were they? The Bible says that they were people who provided for them. Who's them? Jesus and the apostles. They didn't have, they weren't walking around full of needs. Let me tell you another thing. Jesus, people like to paint a picture of Jesus like he was some pauper. He wasn't a pauper. Explain to me how Jesus could have been a pauper if here's a man that traveled with 12 other full-grown men and had a ministry, took care of the 12, and had one of them set aside as the treasurer, Judas, and the Bible teaches us that 
uh, Judas often stole from the money bag. So you got to have at least enough money so that you can provide for everybody and that Judas can still steal and nobody notices that money's going missing. I mean, if all they had was a few, you know, few dollars in our, in our finance, financial, uh, you know, if we're using our own vernacular, few dollars, you know, he only had about 10, 15 bucks. Well, if that's the case, if you got 15 bucks to your name and somebody comes and steals five, you know, it's gone. <laughs> You're like, Hold up. I had 15 bucks. Now I've only got 10. If they didn't have it and Judas was stealing it, which the Bible says that he was, they would have noticed it was gone. But notice, they never had any issue financially. You'll never find one passage where they say, well, I don't know, we were going to continue on with this ministry. We've just run out of finances. No, they had people, partners that were sowing into their ministry, that were traveling with them. They had more than enough to complete their purpose, to complete their goal. More than enough. Jesus had more than enough. He wasn't struggling. He wasn't trying to get by. You know, it's interesting to me. People say, well, you know, Jesus, he was homeless, had no place to lay his head. Go, if you go and read the Gospels, you'll find a place where Jesus uh, comes to his disciples and they say, Jesus, where are you staying? And he says, come and see. And they came with him, the Bible says, and they abode with him all day until the evening in the house where he was staying. So either Jesus had a house in Galilee or he had enough money to rent a house in Galilee, but don't tell me that he had, quote unquote, no place to lay his head. He was using figures of speech. He wasn't saying that I've got no place. I got, I'm so poor. He wasn't so poor. Why in the world, if he was some pauper, like a bum on the street, why were people gambling for his robes? What's the point? Gambling for his robes. Why would you care? Why would you care? And Jesus was a man who had more than enough. He had more than enough. In fact, in order to um, provide for his disciples, he wanted to prove to them that he was more than enough. He wanted to prove to them. And so what did he say? Jesus said to them, when you go out, I want you to go out, but don't take any extras. Get this. He told them, don't take extra clothing, don't take extra sandals, don't even take the knapsack, just go and preach. I believe he was showing them, I will provide for you as you accomplish your purpose. I'll provide for you as you accomplish your purpose. So if you've read that before, when you go, don't take extra sandals, don't take extra garments, robes, don't, don't take uh, 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 money back. So look at this. Now they come back. Now they come back from their ministry. Luke 22 I'm in Luke 22, verse 35. Listen to this. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? Did you lack anything at all? And they answered nothing. You see that? They answered nothing. What was the key? He sent them out. He sent them out. They were doing what he said to do. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Doing what he said to do. If we'll do what he said to do, the blessing is in our obedience. It's in our obedience. That's why the Bible says, Old Testament, Isaiah 48, 17. I'm the Lord your God that teaches you to profit and leads you in the way you should go. When you read Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3, it's clear to understand. If we don't stand in the way of sinners, join them with mockers, not sit in the seat of the scornful, what happens? What we'll meditate on the law of God. You start to obey the word of God. The Bible says what will happen. You'll be like a tree planted by streams of water. That your leaves will never wither. You'll prosper in all you do. Right? What's, what's the key there? My obedience brings me into prosperity. And there's a, a move to try to crush this message that God has the ability to provide for you. I'm blown away. Even by people that uh, are Bible students that have the ability to divide scripture. And they have the discipline to do proper hermeneutics. Then they get to this subject and they fall off the boat. They fall off. They don't use the same hermeneutic to divide the word of God when it comes to this as they would with anything else. Blows my mind. That's why we're teaching Bible study made simple. 
That's why we're reopening the course for people to join us in October, the end of this month, the 26th. We want you to be a part of it because we're teaching people how to rightly divide the word of truth. And that's why we're doing this. Make it affordable so anybody can get in. It's $15 a month. $15 a month and we get once a week we're together studying the scripture. I'm showing you the tools. I'm showing you how to do it. Because they'll get to places like 2 Corinthians 9. Mind-blowing to me. Go to 2 Corinthians 9 and you read that God's system of seed time and harvest, it produces. That's not my system. That's God's system. I didn't create the system of seed time and harvest. God did. Genesis 8, 22. As long as the earth remains, there'll be seed time and harvest. I didn't create that. God did. It's his system. So he's the one that brings it to pass. And Paul makes a very... Now, notice this. He knows that there are Christians that are struggling financially in another place, right? We say, well, I thought God uh, called for all Christians to be... Well. Of course, he wants all Christians to be blessed, but that doesn't mean all Christians are. That doesn't mean all Christians... Are. God wants all Christians to be healed. That doesn't mean all Christians are healed. Just because God wants it to happen doesn't mean everybody receives it. He's also willing that none should perish. But will people perish? Yes. Yes, they will. Not because God wants them to perish, but because they will. So notice this. The Bible says Paul, knowing that he's taking up an offering for Christians in Jerusalem that need financial assistance, so what is he doing? He's allowing those that are Christians in Greece to provide for Christians that are in Jerusalem. And as he receives that offering, this is what he says in the sixth verse of 2 Corinthians 9. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may, be a, you may abound in every good work, as it is written. He's distributed freely, he's given to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. Right? Now look at this, verse 10, very important. And he who supplies seed to the sower. Okay, what context are we talking about right now? Context is everything. For all of you Bible students, all these people, that bl they blow me away. They don't understand the system of seed time and harvest. Context, it's in the text, get it. He who supplies seed to the sower. Okay, so what, what is he talking about sowing? The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. What's he doing? He's taking up an offering for the Christians in Jerusalem. He's talking about what they're gonna give as a financial offering. That's their seed. That's the context of the passage. That's their seed. And he says the one who supplies that seed to the sower is God. And he gives bread for food. He'll supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of, of your righteousness and you'll be enriched in every way. How many ways? Every way, not some ways, in every, which includes financially. To be generous in every way, not just to do good things for people, not just to take care. No, in every way. That means that I'm going to have to be able to be generous financially because the one who gives seed to the sower will multiply the seed and give us a harvest. Why? So that we can be enriched in every way. Glory to God. I want you to put it in the comments. My obedience will cause me to be rich in every way, enriched in every way. Look at this, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God in every way. Glory to God in every way. So I want you to go with me to Galatians 6, because here's the other place that I cannot understand that people skip around the text. They skip around the context, but this is what the Bible teaches. Paul, multiple times, not just in 2 Corinthians 9, but here in Galatians, refers to uh, their financial giving as seed sowing. My financial giving is seed sowing. Okay, now look at this. Very interesting. Galatians 6, starting with verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word 
share all good things, all good things, with the one who teaches. And do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever, look at that, whatever, whatever, whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Hmm. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Remember this, Paul is speaking to an agrarian society. These are farmers. These are people that have to raise their own food. These are people, this is not, you know, New York City in 2022. These are people that are farming. They understand seed time and harvest. They understand what it means to say, whatever you sow, that's why he's using that terminology. Whatever you sow, that's the thing you're going to reap. That very thing. I don't sow apple seeds and expect to grow orange trees. I don't sow corn and expect to get watermelons because a seed reproduces after its own kind. So whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. The very same thing I sow is what I reap. Hallelujah. The very same thing I sow is what I reap. I don't expect to sow financial seeds and have a different kind of harvest. Let me just say it this way, because I know people have taught this. I don't sow financial seeds and expect to have physical healing come into my body. It's not anywhere in the Bible. It's not anywhere in the Bible. So I don't, I'm not expecting, it's not the same harvest as the seed I sowed. Doesn't work like that. Whatever a man sows, that will he also, if I sow shoes, shoes are coming back to me. If I sow watches, watches are coming back to me. If I sow finances, finances are coming back to me. If I sow love, love is coming back to me. If I sow peace, peace is coming back to me. If I sow gentleness, gentleness is how I'm going to be dealt with. Whatever a man sows, that is what he also reaps. People dance around these passages as though, well, that's not really what Paul was saying. It's exactly what Paul was saying to the Corinthians and to the Galatians, the Gauls that were in Turkey, in in, in Asia Minor. It's exactly what he was saying. Whatever a man sows, whatever, doesn't matter what it is, that will he also reap. So notice the context he's saying this in though. He's talking about if a teacher, and he talks about this in multiple places in his epistles, if a teacher is teaching you the word, then you should minister back to him natural things. If he's ministering to you spiritual things, you should minister back to him natural things. The laborer is worthy of his hire. You know what that means? That if he's there doing these things spiritually to sow into the community, then they should sow back into him naturally. Paul teaches that throughout scripture. And here's one of the places. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will reap from the spirit eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we'll reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith, which is what was happening in the early church, right? They weren't just taking care of everyone, they were taking care first of those that were in the household of faith. If any in the body of Christ had needs, what happened? They sold their possessions, they sold their homes, and they provided for those needs. If there were widows, if there were orphans, what did they do? They fed them. They took care of them. And in fact, the apostles uh, delegated that work to deacons. They raised men up that could spend the time caring for the people, right? Because there were, and, and then as you know, as people have their own human nature, as soon as there were meal plans, as soon as there was uh, care for, for families, people started fighting. And the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews, started getting in fights with the other Jews. They're getting more than we're getting. And they don't, our kids aren't getting fed like their kids. And our our widows are, are struggling. Their widows are getting more. And so they said, we're not dealing with all this. We're the apostles. We should be praying. We should be in the word of God. We should be fasting. We should be preparing ourselves to minister to the people. So let's raise godly men up that can take care of these people. Human nature. Who were they taking care of? Those first in the household of faith. Not only, but Paul teaches it, those are the first ones, especially those that are in what? The household of faith. And notice, what's the whole 
point of this uh, passage here. Sharing all good things with the one who teaches. Same thing he taught to the Corinthians. It's the same thing he taught to the Corinthians. If they minister to you natural things, minister back to them, or supernatural things, minister back to them natural things. And so seed time and harvest is not something that's made up by prosperity preachers. You know, you're talking about sowing your seeds. It's in the Bible. We take it from the context of the scripture. <laughs> that, that's why we preach it. It's because God created the system of seed time and harvest and gave us the ability to walk in it and see harvest come back. God's not mocked. That means his system will not be mocked. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked whatsoever. Whatsoever one sows, that will he also reap. Nikki said, why do you keep looking at your phone? My dad texts me. My dad texts me multiple times. Um, whatsoever a man sows. <laughs> Nikki's so observant on the other side of Facebook. Whatsoever a man sows. That will he also reap. And so there is a system created by God that as we walk in it in obedience, it opens up God's blessing to his people so that we cannot be manipulated by this world system. The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. God's not calling you to struggle. God's not calling you to barely get by. God's not calling you. You, you, you know, we're not Catholic priests. We don't take a vow of poverty. I'm not taking a vow of poverty. I'll tell you what. Uh, probably has not been well taught uh, in, in the Pentecostal charismatic community. I'll tell you one area of this that's probably not been taught is uh, contentment. Is contentment. Is that the Bible teaches that you're to be content. You're not supposed to be greedy. You're not supposed to be covetous. I'm not supposed to be looking at everybody else's life and be covetous. I wish I had what she had. I wish I had what he had. And I'm not supposed to sit around being greedy. You know, I got to get, because you know what happens then? You are ruled by the, what the Bible calls the spirit of mammon. You can only either love God or you'll love money. But the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, all kinds. You start loving money and you'll do things to get money and to get things that actually will start to break your integrity down. You'll do crooked things. You'll cheat, you'll steal, you'll rob, you'll cut corners, you'll do things under the table to get more money. You know what you'll do? You'll start putting your job above God's house. And we won't see you in church for six weeks straight because uh, overtime became available and you cared more about getting more money than you did coming to the house of God. I know that's not preached in church anymore. It needs to be preached because we live in a society that's constantly being marketed to and they're telling us that we don't have all we need and we need more. We need to buy, buy, buy. We need new this, new that. We need, and, and it's just constant marketing to make us feel discontent with the things we already have so that we'll keep chasing the next thing and we're lied to that the happiness, the comfort, the peace, the fulfillment is going to come from getting another thing. doesn't come from that. And it puts us on a hamster wheel and gets us running after things in greed and discontentment that we really don't need and we've been lied to to believe that if we could just have them. And that's why the majority of Americans are in debt. Ninety-some percent of Americans are in credit card debt and could not, if they had a $500 emergency, could not pay cash for it, would have to put it on a credit card. Why? Because we live in a generation that everyone's got to have it now because they've not understood the power of contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. It doesn't mean you don't push for greater. That's not what I'm teaching. See, this is why it's not explained well in Pentecostal Christianity, in charismatic Christianity. It's not explained well. That when you understand it, it should be understood this way. That doesn't mean God doesn't have more for you. He absolutely does. He absolutely does. The path of the just is a shining light. Shines brighter and brighter until the perfect day. Proverbs 4.18. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. Which things? The natural things. What are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? Where are we going to sleep? All these things will be added unto you. But what's the focus? The kingdom. If you make God's kingdom your focus, he'll make you his focus. If you put God first, he'll put you first. 
But people, they don't understand the, the power of contentment. I don't have to have everything like that. You know, God will add it to me. God will add it to me. Hallelujah. He knows the desires of your heart. He'll add it to you. You've heard me tell the testimonies. My wife started wanting cows. We had no cows. And we went from one cow, or we went from zero cows to one cow. We went from one cow to two cows. And now we're at five cows. We're going to be at 10 cows. Wait, I didn't pay for any of those. I didn't have to put, I didn't have to go out and work extra shifts and do overtime. And, and, and I got to get it. I got, I want that. I got to have those cows. I mean, my wife really wanted them. She was believing for them, but we just kept seeking the kingdom, kept seeking the kingdom, kept seeking the kingdom. And God added them to us. God added them to us. Hallelujah. What are out there freaking out trying I mean, anything that's a heart's desire, if you'll seek God's kingdom, he'll add it to you. If you operate in the system of seed time and harvest, God will bless you. And you won't have to sit around and always, I wish I had. No, seek God's kingdom. Be a part of seed sowing in this system of seed time and harvest. My wife and I were just talking about this. There's, there's a, 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 there are two people that we were just uh, talking about the possibility. Because you know, we've been praying for them, asking God to bless them, asking God to increase them. And it seems like they're not increasing the way they should in a lot of areas. And then we talked about the fact that we recognize they're not really givers. They're not really givers. Now, it's not speaking negative. It just occurred to us as we started to think about it. Yeah, they're, they're takers. They're not really givers. Always mooching, always taking, always, you know, but never giving. Never giving. And we're sitting around, could be. My wife said, could this be why? That they're not seeing the breakthroughs that they're believing for. Yes, it could be why. Because in order to have a harvest come back, you've got to sow. Sowing is what releases the harvest. God, God doesn't multiply what you keep. God multiplies what you sow. Hallelujah. I want to say that again. Put it in the comments. God doesn't multiply what I keep. He multiplies what I sow. See, people think about this the wrong way. People think, if I sow a seed, then God's going to multiply what I have. No, no, no. God will take what you sowed, multiply it, and bring a harvest back to you, which will add to what you have. But God doesn't multiply what you keep. He multiplies what you sow. Amen. And that's an important thing to understand. That's why, the, that's why Paul said, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. But if you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. God doesn't multiply what I keep, multiplies what I sow. And I've made up my mind. Like my wife and I have been giving like crazy this year. When she showed me, because I, I, I wasn't really keeping a running tally in that way in my, like in my mind or in my phone or anything. But when she showed me the total of what we gave last year, it about took the wind out of me. When I sat back and said, how much, how much did we give? How much did we give away? It about took, it took the wind out of me to hear we gave that much away in one year and didn't lack for anything. Finished in abundance. Finished in absolute abundance. I mean, it was a testimony. It was a massive, you know, when your accountant thinks you made mistakes on your returns, it's like, no, there's no way this is right. Oh, it's right. We triple checked it. We triple checked it. <laughs> and, and it's exact. And they're like, "Wow, you tell me you more than doubled in one year? More than doubled in one year? Because God brings the increase. We just kept sowing. We just kept sowing. Scroll back up. Cat had a question real quick. Cat said, "Okay, help. We sow. We love to give, but I keep finding us financially barely keeping our head above water. Where am I screwing up? I don't know your exact story." Uh, scroll her, it was that cat cat I don't know your exact story but I know there's multiple reasons uh, in the scripture which if you don't have this book I would highly recommend that you get Bishop David Oyedepo's book understanding financial prosperity it's on Amazon probably the best book ever written on prosperity um, but there are multiple reasons one of the reasons that and I'm not saying these are your reasons I'm just going to list reasons why People do not have the resources they need. It could be, now you're saying you're already sowing and tithing so that we can rule that out. You're already a sower. But many times people are not pursuing the thing God called them to do. And so as a result, not going in the right direction or doing the things God's asked them to do, then the resources don't come because God only uh, pays for what he orders. 
So check your purpose, check which way, direction you're going. Is there something you're doing that you're not supposed to be doing? Or is there something you're not doing that God's told you to do and you've not done it? The other thing would be stewardship. God expects stewardship from his children. We had, I had a guy come to me, I'll give you a story. I had a guy come to me one time when I was an associate pastor with my uncle. He said, Brother Ted, can you help me? Can you go to the uh, comments at the bottom? He said, Brother Ted, can you help the month? And I'm, I feel like I got, I'm under financial pressure all the time. I said, I'd be happy to help you. I said, come, come into the church one afternoon on my lunch break and let's sit down and go over your, all your financial figures. So he, br he brought everything in and we sat down at the lunchroom and I pulled out a piece of paper. We just went over his whole budget. And after all of his bills were paid and after his tithes were paid and with money to give offerings, I looked at the paper. I said, bro, you've got $1,500 a month left over. Uh, at the end of every month, after all bills paid, after tithes paid, I mean, I even put in there gas money, groceries money, everything. I said, you got 1500 bucks a month left over. Where's that money? He's like, I, I don't know. That's $18,000 a year. That's just, you don't know where it is. You know what that's called? Poor stewardship. Poor stewardship. That was his story. Poor stewardship. I'm not saying it's Kat's story. I'm just listing reasons why it could be possible. It could be lack of seed sowing. You said you do that, so it's not you. It could be lack of purpose fulfillment. It could be lack of stewardship. Another thing that the Bible says brings on the blessing in abundance is holiness. The Bible says God will not withhold any good thing from those that walk uprightly. Not any good thing. He told Job, if they'll only obey and serve me, they will spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasures. Psalm 1, uh, verses 1 through 3, Bible says the same thing, that if we will not stand around with the wicked, uh, join in with the mockers, sit in the seat of the scornful, but delight ourselves in the laws of the Lord, then guess what will happen? We'll be like trees planted by rivers of, of water that'll bear fruit in every season, leaves will never wither, will prosper in all that we do. So holiness, being separated unto God, that brings the blessing. But um, if you'll get that book, it'll help you immensely. Because some people think, you know, all that we have to do is just so, so, so. But when the money comes back, it's like people are putting their money in a bag that's got holes in it. Like a bag with holes. Why? Because there's no, no stewardship, no financial stewardship, no financial responsibility or wisdom. And there's many people that money just goes out the door and they don't even know it's going out the door. I like something that Dave Ramsey says. He said, if you don't tell your money where to go, you'll wonder where it went. That's a great quote. If you don't tell your money where to go, you'll wonder where it went. And so the name of the book is Understanding Financial Prosperity. And that's a great question, Kat. And I pray God blesses you abundantly. Uh, but again, what does Galatians say? Do not grow weary in well-doing. Do not grow weary in well-doing. Why? For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. In due season, we will reap if we do not give up. And so the Bible here, Paul is um, admonishing the Galatians, don't stop. Don't stop what you're doing. Continue to press in. There's a due season that's coming. There's a due season that's coming. And I can tell you something. The spirit of this world wants to manipulate the finances. If you've not seen it already, the stuff they're saying, well, there's going to be a, there's going to be a, 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 you know, financial downturn. We're going to have uh, supply chain problems and all all the different stuff that they they're, that they're saying. Now, in the fall, we're going to have more problems, and now we're in the fall, you know. So <laughs> we're going to have supply chain interruptions, and we're not going to have food, and we're not going to have the, you know, we're going to have another recession, and we're going to have a, a depression, and you know, all these all the stuff that they're saying. Let me tell you something. If you're a part of the kingdom of God, walking in the blessing of heaven, you don't have to participate in the crises of this world. You look through the whole Bible. This is the story of the Bible. That in the midst of famine, God can bless. In the midst of drought, God can bless. That God does not call you to participate in the crises of this world's system. You're not supposed to depend on the White House, the stock market, the Dow Jones. You're not supposed to de depend on the culture. You're not supposed to, supposed to depend on corporations. You're supposed to put your faith and trust in God and His Word and let God take care of you. 
and say, I don't care what's coming down the pike. I don't care what they're predicting for America. It's not going to be my story in Jesus' name. I am blessed. I cannot be cursed. And you can't just say it. you got to act it out. But understand, they want to, and when I say they, I mean the spirit of Antichrist and those that have yielded themselves to the globalist agenda, they absolutely want to manipulate the finances of this nation and other nations. I mean... If you don't understand at this point that uh, inflation (laughs) is a manipulated thing, it's a manipulated thing. You realize that, uh, I mean, if you want want to have your hair blown back, go get the book that's entitled The Creature from Jekyll Island. Read that book, The Creature from Jekyll Island, about how the financial reserve was started. Globalist banks run this whole thing, and it's all manipulated. It's all manipulated. There's nothing federal about it. It's not run by the U.S. government. It's not run by the U.S. government. If you want to get that book, it's called The Creature from Jekyll Island. And everything's being manipulated, and I refuse to participate in the crisis. I refuse to participate in the manipulation. And when you walk in abundance, when you walk in the overflow Okay, then I don't care what it is. I honestly don't know. Filled my truck up today. Got probably one of the largest gas tanks on the market. I have no idea how much it costs to fill it up. I don't look. I don't look. I don't sit around and say, you know what gas is? I don't know. I filled it up today. It was at empty. And I know it took a long time. I know it took a long time. But I, I don't know how many gallons it is. I don't know how much it costs to fill it up. I didn't even look at the price per gallon. Because I refuse to participate in that nonsense. God will provide it. If it's, it, I don't care what it goes to. I don't care if God, gas goes to $8 a gallon. I refuse to sit up and be uh, freaked out and wonder if we're going to make it as if God can't provide for $8 a gallon gas. He created the heavens and the earth. The, uh, the silver and the gold is his and the cattle on a thousand hills are his, but he can't pay for $8 a gallon gas. Please, please. I'm not going to sit around and allow myself to be manipulated by the spirit of this world. I'm going to keep sowing. I'm going to keep reaping. I'm going to keep sowing. I'm going to keep reaping. I'm going to keep sowing. I'm going to keep reaping. In Jesus' name. I don't care what they do. I don't care what they do. Our God is a provider. And when we activate his system that he set up, that he set up, it's not our system, wasn't created by some prosperity preacher in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I know that's what they, it's, it's like they, it's what they believe, all these naysayers, all these critics, all these heresy hunters on YouTube, all these prosperity preachers, as if the prosperity message was created in 1981 in Tulsa, Oklahoma. There's prosperity gospel, prosperity preachers. I don't know, who do you think, what do you think, Abraham, you think Abraham was like listening to Kenneth Hagin tapes and that's why he was so blessed? You think Abraham just learned how to, you know, he was like, people blow my mind. David, King David must have been listening to that Fred Price nonsense. This is God's system. He created it. It's not created by men. What a slap in the face to God. He wants to bless his children and people are saying it's not for his children. (laughs) I've never seen, I, I never thought, I never thought that the debate would be at the end of time that people are going to start rejecting the notion that God has a desire to bless his children. I never thought that would be the argument, but apparently it is. Apparently that's the argument. God has a desire to bless his children. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't, brother. Now, if you're blessed, it's because you're, it's sovereignly decreed. But, you know, God chooses other people to be broke. That's what they believe. God chooses other people to be broke for his glory. We don't know why. We'll understand it one day. We don't know why. You can have that theology. You can have that foolishness that completely, uh, pulling out an old word here, besmirches the character of God. (laughs) It's like we're listening to the scarlet letter on tape tonight. Um, But it's true. You can have that. My Bible tells me what God's nature is like. He's a loving heavenly father that knows how to give good gifts to those that ask him. (laughs) <laughs> the Bible, Jesus taught that, Matthew 7. You earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more does your heavenly father know how to give good gifts to those that ask him? That's his nature. That's his character. 
He loves us, wants to bless us. No question about it. No question about it. God loves you. God wants to bless you. God wants to take you out of debt into place of being debt free. He doesn't want you to be a servant to the lender. Wants you to be totally debt free. Wants you to have more than enough to abound every good work, to be enriched in every in every way. The Bible said, enriched in every way. There's a due season that we will reap if we do not give up. I refuse to give up. I refuse. Let me tell you, and God knows this about me. If it came down to whether or not me and my family would eat or if God would get his tithes, you better believe that we would be fasting and he'd have his tithes. So that sounds like child abuse. God knows that about me, so it'll never be my story. We, God knows we put him first. I'm telling you. And I don't say that to brag because I'm not telling you what it was. But when my wife showed me what we gave last year, freaked me out in a good way. I was happy. I was very happy, hallelujah, and we're going to give more and more and more. And the blessings that come in, I'm telling you, it's a result of our faithfulness and dedication. I'm thanking God for Luenda. She's got a, a new testimony. She's got a new blessing that's come to her, and she's going to keep getting blessed in Jesus' name. The Victory Tribe is going to keep getting blessed. Hallelujah. Put it in the comments. I'm going to keep getting blessed. I'm going to pray for you tonight. But let me tell you, this, this globalist antichrist agenda, trying to manipulate the finances to keep the church poor, try to keep the church insignificant, church can't move forward, church in a place where they can't have the resources to do what they're called to do, it won't be our story in Jesus' name. We shall be abundantly blessed. I'm going to keep getting blessed. How blessed? People say, well, how much, is, how much is enough for you, brother? It's not enough for me until wicked people see how blessed I am and grind their teeth in anger. Psalm 112, verse 10. It's not enough until that promise is fulfilled. That the wicked can't stand how blessed I'm getting. And it's visible. That means they have to be able to see it. They have to be able to actually take note of what God's doing in the ministry, what God's doing in our, in our lives. I'm just telling you, that is going to be, you say, how, how blessed are you? How much you believe for? I'm believing for so much that wicked people in high places see it and get angry about it. Angry and grind their teeth. Oh, can't stand. Why, why does he have to have it? Yeah. Do you think, in all honesty, I mean, in all honesty, why would any of God's children ever feel bad about wearing the best, living in the best, driving the best. I guarantee you pornographers don't care about it. Pornographers don't care if you don't like what they live in and drive and what they have. They don't care. Drug dealers don't care if what you think about what they drive and how they dress and what they live in. They don't care. The mafia doesn't care what they, if you, what they drive or what, if you see what they live in or how they, they don't care. You know, six carat diamond pinky ring. They don't care if you see that. They don't care. These wicked globalists, these people in corporations and these wicked people running these hedge funds, they don't care flying around in their private jets, you know, on their yachts, Martha's Vineyard doing their own. They don't care. They got six houses. They don't care that you know. They don't care. They, they, don't, they don't ask your advice. They don't feel ashamed that they have all that. So why in the world would God's children ever feel any kind of shame for having that. And you know, people say, well, if you have all that, you should sell it all and give it to the poor. <laughs> God, Jesus only told one man in the Bible to do that, and he didn't do it it's because Jesus knew the man's money had control of him. Did Jesus, let me ask you this, did Jesus give everything he had to the poor? No. No, he didn't. So is Jesus a hypocrite, or is that not the prescription for every believer? Jesus didn't even do that. He asked one man who had an issue with money to do that. Did Peter do that when he became Jesus' disciple? No. He still had boats. He still had a house. Still had possessions, according to Scripture. So that's not the prescription for every believer. And people that treat you like that must be nice to have all that. It's because they're not givers. That's why they feel bad. They're not givers. 
And if they, let me tell you, there's a reason that you are where you are. There's a reason God's blessed you. It's because you are a giver. So don't feel ashamed and don't feel bad because God's blessed you. He blessed you because you're obedient. So who cares? I don't care what they think. I'll drive in the nicest truck that there is. Nicest one. It's the one I want. Have it, drive it, and I don't hide it. And sit around and say, well, you know, I just try to stay humble because I'm a minister. I'll drive the nicest thing. I'll drive trucks that are nicer than drug dealers drive. Nicer than pornographers drive. And I'm a man of God. It's nicer than what they have. I'll live in better homes than pornographers. I'll live in better homes than wicked people. I'll live in better homes than drug dealers. And I won't, you won't feel me. I'm not an ounce sorry about it. You know why? I don't love money. I don't love things, but I have them. And the reason I have them, the reason you have them, is because we serve a God that if we'll seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be added. All these things will be added. Everything. Hallelujah. Everything will be added to you. Why? Because you seek God first. His kingdom is first. Righteousness is first. You don't love money. You don't love things. But I'll tell you, you'll have them. You'll have them. You don't have to love them to have them. You'll have them. Yes, you will, Susan, in Jesus' name. You'll own a home in Jesus' name. It's funny. You see the, the people start dropping off. You talk like this and people drop off. Because people can't handle it. Because that's how wrong it's been taught in the church. People can't handle it. I'm glad you stuck around. Because I'm going to pray for you at the end of this broadcast. Father, I'm praying for every person that's watching me and listening right now in Jesus' name. I pray that by the power of your spirit, by your mighty right hand, that you would do something supernatural for your faithful people before the year comes to an end. Lord, I ask you that you would bless them abundantly. I pray, Lord, that you'd open doors that only you can open. I pray like for those that are believing to own their own home. Lord, let them own their own home in Jesus' name. Take them from renting to owning by the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. I pray that they don't just own one. Let them own multiple. Let them have investment homes in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, every bill would be paid off. Every need would be met and then we'd walk in the overflow. Now, Lord, I pray that you'd put a new faith on your people. Speak to them a word. Give them a, a, a seed in their heart tonight that they would sow by faith and watch as the increase comes to pass. We're running full speed into this new year in obedience and with divine momentum in Jesus' name. We thank you for it and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I'm going to give you that opportunity here at the end of this broadcast. We're thwarting. That's what we're doing. I refuse to be controlled by anti-supernaturalism. I refuse to be controlled by this anti-divine healing message. And I refuse to be controlled by the anti-prosperity message. I will be a supernatural believer. I will be a healthy, strong believer. And I will be a blessed, abundant believer. Without question. I will accomplish our purpose without sweat in Jesus' name. And so I'm encouraging every one of you that are watching... Take a minute and do something by faith that the Holy Ghost is speaking to you to do on this Thursday night. Sow a seed by faith and watch what God's getting ready to do for you before this year comes to an end. Go to MiracleWord.com. All of the ways to give are there, but take a step of faith and watch what God will do for you. I know what he's done for my wife and for me. He'll do the same for you. He's no respecter of persons. He doesn't love us more than he loves you. He doesn't have... That's not how it works. If you step out by faith and do what God's asked you to do, he responds to faith-filled people. That's what he does. That's what the Bible says. We must believe that he is, Hebrews eleven six, and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. God is a rewarder. Hallelujah. God is a rewarder. And I say thank you. For everybody that's sowing in the month of October, we want to send you Dr. Bill Winston's book, Faith and the Marketplace. This is a phenomenal book. For those of you that are uh, in business, I want you to set your faith that God will use your business in such a way that not only will you win souls, but that you would also see your business flourish so that you can fund the kingdom of God before Jesus comes back so that we can make an impact and do what we're called to do. And I know God will bless you. God blesses you for your faithfulness. If you want to receive that book as you've sown your seed, go to miracleword.com forward slash offer 
and we'll send it to you as soon as possible. Once again, coming up on the 28th, it's the Victory Tribe one night. It's homecoming. We wanna see you in person in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Me and Carolyn and the whole team are gonna be there. And then on the 29th, we've got brunch together for those that are SVP'd. And we've got massive announcements for you. Cannot wait to share. We love you guys so much. Thanks for hanging with me again tonight. Have a wonderful night. I love you. I'll talk to you again very soon. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.